What up? This is Caroline with the CWC podcast, where we believe that life without your favorite foods is not worth living. I'm going to be talking a lot about my journey to food freedom, and of course, I will always keep it real by sharing the good, the bad, and of course, the ugly. I'm going to jump right in and get started and do a little intro first, and then we will just dive right in. Um, I first off just want to say I'm really grateful for you for coming on the show. Um, This is huge to me, and it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. I know that you know that. Um, I spend a lot of my time outside of just my work talking to women about breast implant illness and explant surgery and all of that stuff. And so, um, when I came across your page, I was so intrigued by the fact that you, you know, pretty much now specialize. Would you say that that's correct? You specialize in explant surgeries? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's if you look at my practice, it's probably 90 to 95% of what I do. Wow. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Rankin, he is one of the top plastic surgeons in the nation. He has been practicing plastic surgery for going on 18 years, um, specializing in explant surgery. Um, what really made you decide or at what time did you shift into specifically just explanting? Um, it's been, I'd say about four years now where I'm really doing it. Um, day in and day out. Um, when I started practice, I just kind of let my, my practice take me where it went. And I did all types of trauma reconstructive. I did 15 years at a major trauma institution, taking care of accident victims. Um, and I used to do a lot of breast augmentations. You know, I like many of my colleagues uh, thought they were totally fine, totally safe. And, um, you know, I started to have a subset of women that were coming to see me that wanted their implants out. And I reluctantly, you know, I started to do it and they all started to feel better. And then I started to say, that is really something to this. Right. And it just kind of snowballed from there because <clears throat> as I saw the patients improve, it was really, it was, that was huge for me as a doctor. And, you know, I wanted to explore it more. That is amazing. Um, that was kind of what my surgeon had said after I explanted with him and I went for my week post-op. I mean, I remember almost being like, tearful because I had, I significantly felt better just seven days after explanting and I couldn't believe it. And he said, well, you're about to feel a lot better. Like as the months go by, it it will continue to improve. And I just remember being like, it is just so crazy how bad you can feel and then how quickly you can just almost feel like your body is able to begin repairing and functioning normally again. It's, it's just bizarre to me. And the, the, however many women that I've spoken to, I know that you probably have spoken to so many more and helped so many more. And I just want to say thank you for that. Um, because it's hard to find plastic surgeons who will even acknowledge that it's could be a real issue, breast implant illness. And, you know, I know when I went to get my pre-op for, I was going to get new implants put in before I got my explant and the surgeon brought it up before I even could say anything. And he was like, well, I don't know if you've heard about breast implant illness. It's not real. Like nothing you read is there's no validity to any of it. And I just thought that was odd that he brought that up at my pre-op. I, it was just because I had never even like, researched it so yeah and i think it's relatively i don't want to say new because it's been around but the um you know the words kind of getting out um mostly with 
social media, podcasts, um, women speaking about their experiences to other women using resources that weren't available four or five years ago. You know, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have right. podcasts and Facebook, and now we have all these means of women able to express their, you know, their feelings and their experiences together. And I think that's been really powerful. Yeah. And that's really how I even stumbled upon the fact that I thought it could be my implants causing the issues I was experiencing. I literally just started talking to friends who had explanted and it was through those relationships that I found a sense of calm. Like, okay, I'm not crazy because a lot of people really do the stuff that you go through the symptoms, they make you feel like, well, if a doctor can't tell me what's wrong, then maybe something is wrong with my brain. Like maybe I'm like a hypochondriac and I'm making up some of these things. Maybe I'm just tired. Everyone's tired. And you really start to spiral because of how bad you feel and you know, something's wrong. And that was the only solace I found was talking to other women who were like, Oh my gosh, I had that same thought in my brain or I feel felt like this. And, and then you start to feel a sense of something deeper is going on. And it's just too coincidental to remove them and then all of a sudden, all these crazy symptoms you were dealing with just start going away. And that yeah. to me was where I was just like, how do you deny this? Like, I understand that there's, there's not an actual official diagnosis for it, but it's, it's certainly real. It's real to me. I went through it and lived it. And I know a lot of women who did as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's a spectrum, of course. Some women are affected horribly and others... Mm -hmm moderately and others, not at all. Right. Um, and finding out why I think is, is an important issue, you know, moving forward and, and see if we can, you know, kind of figure this thing out from a physiologic level. Right. So I do, I did have a bunch of questions um, that came in from some ladies. So I had a, a girl ask, would you be able to explain the process for patients who would be traveling out of state for your explant service? Um, like how many times would they need to visit your office after how long would they need to stay after the procedure? What, what does that look like? Yeah. So we have in our practice explant liaisons that help basically from travel to you know, pre-op post-op. And once you get a surgical date, you'll get assigned an explant liaison and they'll help walk you through the whole process. Generally, I'd like my patients to stick around for seven days if they're out of state. 10 is ideal, but seven I'm okay with. Okay. Um, that gives enough time for some healing to take place. I do use drains. Drains are out by then. Um, and then follow-ups, usually for my out-of-state patients, you know, if they're able to, they can come in to see me. Otherwise, we can do a, a phone conversation or, or a Zoom or a you know, FaceTime. Uh, I give all my patients my cell phone number. So they're always texting me pictures and questions and things like that. I, you know, I like to be available if there's an issue. Yeah. Awesome. I've had a lot of, a lot of girls ask me specifically about you doing their explant. And of course I just send them straight to your, well, to D and then calling the office and making appointments. But I know that they're, they're eager to hear all of these details. So, and now that I've got you here, um, this is actually a really good question. Uh, one of my female listeners asked, are there other plastic surgeons starting to follow your lead, you know, about accepting breast implant illness, doing more of the in-block procedure explant? Yeah, a hundred percent. If you awesome. just look at, you know, my, the colleagues in my area and around the country, there are doctors that are starting to focus more on explants and 
some of them solely on explanting also. Wow. Um, so <clears throat> I think as we see more data, we talk with more women, you know, people are understanding this is something that's real. I mean, what woman whose breasts look great, who they're happy with their implants, goes and takes them out. And, right. And is happy they did it because they feel so much better. So it's just that tells you so much. You know, it's yeah. the last thing that a woman wants to do when she gets the implants. So oh, I'm just going to take them out in five years. Um, so yeah. that's a powerful thought. Um, yeah. That makes me feel a lot better just hearing you say that there are more plastic surgeons that are starting to kind of shift towards that. Um, I think it's got to be, like you said, the demand of the word spreading women talking to other women about it, seeing it on social media. I, I see a lot more of it now than I ever did. When I first started hearing about it, probably five years ago, it, I almost didn't want to open Pandora's box and I didn't want to click on a post and read. It was very weird, almost like I knew, but I I wasn't really experiencing symptoms at the time. So I was like, I don't want to get my brain like going down that rabbit hole and as the years went on and I did start experiencing symptoms, that's when I was like, okay, I just need to, I'll look it up. And it was just crazy when you start reading things that you're dealing with it. I mean, it's a whole list and, and you know, like what those things are. And you're right. When you have like implants, why would you randomly just want to take them out? Most women want to get new implants if it's been 10 years or 11 years. And I, I mean, it was no question for me, but I know a lot of women do struggle with, well, I don't want to be smaller. I don't want to look flat chested. And you got to kind of be in that place where health wise, if your health is struggling, you don't care. That's where I was. I didn't care. Yeah. A lot of times it, it just, it's last resort. You know, they've turned over every stone and went to every doctor and nobody can give them a diagnosis. And they say, okay, this is what I'm going to try. And, and thankfully in the majority of my patients, they have an improvement and relief. Yeah. And that's um, Tamara had her surgery this morning and she was basically saying the same thing that all women say to me, which is, I'm just scared that I'm going to get them out and then not improve. And of course, that's like the number one thing that you worry about happening. But I don't think I've talked to any one woman that hasn't had significant improvement after explanting and getting them out. And you just have to think at the very base, it's just a foreign well, two foreign objects in your body. And I just think it's so interesting how the capsule that is created around them, I knew nothing about that. And then when I got my pictures, I was like, why are they red? What, what's the red thing around yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. It's your body's way of saying, okay, something's foreign in me. I don't like it. I'm going to put a wall around it. And that's what the yeah. capsule is. Yeah. So crazy. So interesting. Um, Let's see here. I think we already answered this one. Someone asked, what was the aha moment that had you, well, I don't know. Do you still do implants or do you just basically just no, specialize in explant? I just explant. I don't do implants anymore. Awesome. I just, you know, explanting, it's tough. There's a lot of challenges, both from a technical standpoint and from an aesthetic standpoint. So right. there's a lot, you know, I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to perfect my, so that, that, that keeps me busy enough where, yeah. you know, I'm thinking that implants might be causing an issue in some women. I, I just think I'll, I'll stay with the explant portion. And I love that. I love that. And um, what you said about like, even just the aesthetic part of it, I still have like a little area on the outside where it's almost like a, it kind of looks like a flap, but I totally, I've had a lot of women be like, I don't want that flap on the outside. And I'm like, again, it, it really, I don't care. 
but aesthetically I can see how it would be difficult to take that. And I mean, I know nothing about any of that, but yeah, I mean, you can get little things like that. Uh, um, you can sometimes do a small revision if it was something that bothered you. Those yeah. are usually done under local and, and things like that. Um, fat grafting is an option too. I'm sure we'll probably get into that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, everybody's an individual and each patient has unique challenges to their surgery. So that's what you kind of got to fine tune for each, each patient. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, you said fat grafting. Is that same like a fat transfer? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know a lot about that. I didn't have that done. So let's talk about that a little bit. So for women that explant, maybe they have a little bit of an indent or, um, you know, one side is a little bit smaller than the other, or they just want a little bit more volume. Fat grafting is one modality that we have to use your own fat to give you volume. So it's done through liposuction. <clears throat> we use a special canister that collects the fat um, sterile, and then it's injected into the patient. Okay. So um, that's at least an option to gain a little bit more volume after the surgery. However, some of my patients struggle with having enough fat to, to you know, utilize. Transfer and move it around, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the best thing to do to prep before having an explant? Like, you know, is there a specific type of diet that is encouraged to follow or types of workouts, anything like that? No, just um, healthy lifestyle. Um, we have a list of medications not to take and, and medications that are okay to take. Um, some people recommend like an anti-inflammatory diet because part of this process is inflammation. So yeah. if you can get the ball rolling um, there, that would be fine. But basically just, just uh, healthy living. Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, the inflammation is the number one thing that I realized that was, you know, triggering a lot of the responses that my body was going through. And most other women, it's just that it's it, your body feels like it's so under attack that it creates inflammation in all of these. That's why everything was so random. I feel like with, you know, you, you have throat issues. I did bladder issues, mental issues, so many all over the place that it would be hard, I would think, for a doctor to pinpoint like, well, I don't, I don't know why you're, and then they just, I think, chalk it up to, well, it's autoimmune. And I still actually just had my blood test done not long ago. And I, I called D because I was freaking out because they were like, well, your ANA to ITER levels are elevated. And that shows like early signs of lupus. And I was like, what? How is that even possible? And she was like, that's unfortunately, that's normal. She said, as you continue to heal, they, those levels should go down. So I plan on getting tested again just to see where they're at. But that freaked me out when I saw that. Yeah, and autoimmune can present in many different organ systems and many different manifestations. So, um, and we know there's there's a link. Um, if you look on the FDA website right now under breast implant illness, they're at least listing some of these symptoms, which mm -hmm. is a good start. Um, so, you know, women that don't have other places to turn as far as a diagnosis can think, hmm, maybe it, it is my implants. Yeah, and the black box warning that was just placed on all implants. I think that is huge that the FDA passed that. And now like that warning has to be there. I think that that's, that's a great move. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that with any surgery and this surgery in, in particular, informed consent is just key. Right. You, know, you got to know your risks, benefits, alternatives, possible complications. And I think that now you can't just 
cavalierly, nonchalantly have your surgery thinking you're going to be fine with your implants forever, guaranteed. You know, there's, yeah. there's some possible things that can happen. Yeah. And that's the most important thing you just said is informed consent. Because I've said, I don't know how many times now that if that, if any of these things were even alluded to, like this could potentially happen, not saying it will. I mean, I think I may probably would have thought twice about getting them in the first place. And, you know, I was younger back. I've had mine for 13 years. So I was like 20, early twenties when I got mine in and I didn't have kids or anything. I was like, whatever, I'll just get them. And I mean, deep down, I think I knew that like, I probably shouldn't have done it, but I did it. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of that. I think a lot of women get it because they want to feel better about themselves, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, But ultimately at the end of the day, it's, I am very outspoken about the fact of how dangerous it is solely based on what I went through alone um, in my life. And I'm still healing and still going through it. And that's why I I just think it's so important to share um, with as many women as possible. So they know. So um, what, like, I know that you don't handle like all the like payment stuff in the office, but a lot of women will contact me and say, I can't afford an explant. I can't, you know, how do I go about doing this? And I I just tell them to ask their insurance company. I know a couple of girls have gotten lucky with their insurance company covering it. Uh, Maybe like a care credit. Is there anything that you have Um, to input on that? We offer in-house finance, well, third-party financing um, through care credit and some other organizations. I love that. Um, There's some patients of mine in our community that are actually starting a support group for women that can't afford. Wow. Um, which I was just told about last week and they asked me if I would, you know, help them. And I said, sure. Um, so for, for women that may qualify to contact these women and, and possibly get their, their implants handled. I mean, I do for severe cases, I'll do pro bono cases here and there absolutely awesome. for someone that really needs it. Um, it, it is expensive. Um, most insurances yeah. don't cover it. Right. I, I have patients that'll submit on their own behalf after and get some reimbursement back. Um, and there's codes online and some of the support groups that you can, you can get, um, to do that as well. Well, that's amazing. Um, that's awesome that they're putting that together to help some women. And like you said, ones that are like a dire case, I have like two girls that are super, super sick. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, just go ask or just go talk. Like, I don't know what else to, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I, I totally get it. And, you know, I, I just try and do my best with, uh, with, yeah. with patients. Um, if I can help them out, I, I certainly will do so. So what, what do you think will potentially get this even bigger and bigger and bigger, just more people openly discussing it? Do you think that, do you think that the media will ever pick up any like stories or? Um, I think there's been a number of, of stories. A lot of times it's through celebrity because um, yeah. they have a, they have a big voice. Um, and I think that, you know, if you look in the last couple of years, there's some big names that have had it done and it's always a hot button topic. So you see a lot of the major news organizations pick it up, yeah. um, you know? So yeah, I do think just word of mouth, some of the social media sites, um, like Healing by Nicole, mm-hmm. I think has over a hundred, hundred thirty thousand women on it. So that's yeah. that's a big, powerful, um, a huge group resource. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, that's like my only 
wishes that it just continues to kind of snowball and catch steam and more women at least know at least know about it if they know about it and then they choose not to that's you know one thing but um so what is let's see here what is something we'll get a little bit off topic so you grew up in michigan right i did yep okay and you have three kids i have three kids 10, 11, and 12. What are their names? Uh, my son is Kobe, K-O-B-I. And then like I have that. Quinn, Q-U-I-N, and Capri. I love those names. Thank you. Oh, So in your off time when you're not working, what do you enjoy doing? Aside from being with your family, what do you guys enjoy doing? Um, we love to travel. So we try and wherever we go, we take our kids, you know, try to give them some really cool world experiences that I really didn't do when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, barely went out of the country. Um, so travel is a big thing. Um, following my kids in their uh, sports activities and other activities. Um, me personally, I like to work out. I like to run. I like to uh, play the drums. I've played my whole life. Awesome. So uh, always kind of like to do stuff with my hands. I like that. So do you have a favorite drummer or a favorite band? Um, my favorite drummer is probably Carter Beaufort for Dave Matthews band. Nice. I think he's just incredibly talented and to listen to him is, is and I, I love that band too. So yeah, they're a great band. Um, probably my favorite. Yeah. Well, you know, Queen is my favorite band. So what, yeah. what is your favorite Queen song? I have to always ask that. Uh, favorite Queen song, probably Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, you got, you got to go with that. You have to go with Bohemian just, Rhapsody. It, I mean, what song is as unique as that song? None. There is none. Yeah, <laughs> there is none. You're right. <laughs> I love that you said that. Um, <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want to talk about um, in, in regards to explanting breast implant illness, any of that stuff? Um, you know, I just think when you, when you choose a doctor, like anything in life experience is key and just make sure you go to somebody that, that does a lot of, of explanting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's something that you want to do proper technique. You want to make sure you get the implants out capsule out and have uh, as good of aesthetic result as you can get. And that takes a lot of experience. Um, and skill. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, just going back to where women can get good resources online, it's uh, healing implant on the spine, Nicole and breast implant illness. Um, Instagram is a great resource too. So you yes. got like uh, the, the online website and uh, the Instagram also. Um, but um you know, I, I think that you're doing a great thing, spreading the word. Um, Thanks. You know, I think it's, you know, for a lot of women, it's a calling because they've been helped and, and then how many people can they help? And I think that you've already gone a long way in doing that. Well, thank you. And I do. I truly feel like it's a calling. It. I just couldn't not talk about it. Um, and I just want everyone to know um, about the risks and all of that. And definitely like what you said, my number one piece of advice is a lot of women don't know about the capsules. And so they think I just need to get my implants out. And I'm always like, make sure you do the M block get, I mean, that's, you got to get the full capsules surrounding the implant out as well. So that's a really important piece. Yeah. That's an important point too, though. When, when people talk about N block, um, you know, we always go in with the intention of doing an N block. The key really is to do a total capsulectomy or remove the whole capsule because an end block doesn't always happen. Okay. Um, if there's adherence to the chest wall, um, you have to be really careful and really meticulous on that chest wall. So sometimes you do a 90% end block and then you go and you 
get the rest wow. um, very carefully. Um, and if you look at the guys that do most explants in the country, including myself and other doctors, you know, if you look at the explant rate, it's probably the end block rate, it's probably, you know, 50%. Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. A lot of people think I need an end block. I need an end block. You want the whole capsule out and the, and the patients that have an end block versus a total capsulectomy, the outcomes um, and the improvement in their health is the same. Huh. Interesting. That's yeah. a really good piece of information. Well, that was awesome. And I appreciate everything that you said. If, if you guys are watching, listening, um, I'm going to be putting Dr. Rankin's Instagram, all of that stuff, his website in the show notes. Um, and then I'll put, I'll put a couple links to the groups too. That way, if they were wanting someone to follow on Instagram or Facebook, they can kind of have that avenue. But I appreciate you coming on here and talking about this more than I can express. And I just think what you're doing is so amazing. You and D, D has been so incredibly helpful to me after she saw the live I did with Tamara, she reached out to me and gave me her phone number and has called me multiple times and talked me off a ledge. And I just think that you guys are wonderful humans and I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I, I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for checking out the CWC podcast. If you want to learn more about our community, make sure to check out the show notes. 